right, looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, talking about Jesus, evangelism, uh, grace and truth, and how he approached every relationship, every encounter, full of grace and full of truth, and ministered that into every encounter. And we're going to be taking a look in Mark, chapter 10, about the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. He's one of the very few in the Gospels that Jesus had a wonderful encounter with and really got to minister to that went away not responding in salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this has been a series for us. We started off with the woman at the well, and then we talked about Nicodemus. Then we talked about that short little guy named Zacchaeus who climbed up in that tree to see Jesus. And now here we have the rich young ruler. And so reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, All these things I have kept from my youth. So he's a very self-righteous man. No doubt about that. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him while he was yet a sinner. He loved him even though he was proud and self-righteous. He loved him while he was still lost. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, we got the video skit, guys, here. It's a modern modern message about the rich young ruler. And can we go ahead and play that at this time? No, just move my appointments. I'm running late. No, I'll explain it when I get there. Yeah, yeah, I'm frustrated. What what else do you want me to say? right now talking about uh, how it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. We don't know what he's talking about. Do you mind just going back down and explaining whatever you guys were talking about, huh? I'm not interested. No, 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 I I am. I'm just telling you. Peter, hey, that's enough. How'd you know my name? Everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows the disciple that uh, that walked on water. I did. I walked on water. It was the most amazing thing. And how you fell in the water. Concentrate on the first part of the story. That's the best part. I walked on water. It was amazing. I walked on water. Anyway, listen. I'm not interested. Thank you. What do you mean you're not interested? You were there. You asked him, what should you do to inherit eternal life? And then you, like, turned away. None of us got it. I mean, most people, like, accept what he has to say. I came to help him. What? I wanted to come help this guy. I believed in everything that he stood for. I thought I'd get on his team and help him out. I'd go and talk to him. He asked me, am I doing all these things? I'm doing everything that he asked. And then he says, I'm not good enough. i got to go do something else. Give up everything to follow him. 
No, 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 no. No, no, that's not gonna happen. No, but you, you, you don't understand. I mean, I mean, it, it is so worth it. I mean, I don't know what he's told you to give up, but all of us, all of us have given up something. I mean, you could talk to any one of us. We've all given up something. You've given up what? You've given up what? What'd you do before you followed him? I was a fisherman. You were a fisherman. So you gave up long hours, rough hands, smelling like a dumpster behind a Long John Silver's. That's what you gave up. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I have? Do you know how you get these kind of things? Yeah, I understand that you, you, you look like you're a real important person oh. and everything, okay? No, no, it's not about being important. I'm a good person. I'm a good man. Right. And I was going to help him. Right. The road to hell is paved, paved with good intentions. Yeah, I know it. I know it all. And he decides that he's going to make the rules. No, no, no. I'm the one who decides the terms. I'm the one who makes those kind of decisions. What's, what's so valuable that you're holding on to? What is it? I mean, I, look, I don't know what he asked you, but I can tell you this. That's just Jesus. I mean, he looks into people's eyes, and he knows what they got to give up. Everybody holds on to something. Come on, just come back with me, okay? We can work it out. We can talk this out. If you don't have a chance, how do any of us have a chance? Maybe I didn't present the case well enough here. Come on, you could just come back. No. You bought into the lie! Bought into the lie. Well, that was a uh, modern version of the gospel story about the rich young ruler. Thought they did a great job with that. Usually they're very funny, but this was way more serious. So I got these five chairs up here, and each chair represents a person sitting in the church. And we've been talking about truth and grace. And so this person right here, I need, I need a woman to come and sit in this chair. That's all you have to do is sit there and represent this first woman. Who's going to do that? Come on up, Mary. I knew you'd volunteer. <laughs> I need a successful businessman to sit right here. That's you, Gary. I need a deacon in the church. Roger, you're a deacon in the church. I need a woman that's going to represent a divorced woman. Come on up, Chris. You can represent, yes, you can represent that person. And then a single man. I need a single man. All right, come on up. Come on up. You can do it. Come on up. Come on up. God bless you, Jeff. All right, so these are five people in the church, and they're not the person that I'm going to illustrate. They're just representing that person. So Mary is a woman who has been saved for years. She is self-righteous, critical of others, and believes she is better than others. She believes that she is the standard for all believers. A successful businessman is Gary, who serves in the church, tithes, but struggles to make time for his family. He loves money and loves being successful at his job. Here lies a deacon in the church who is faithful and fruitful at home, at work, and at church. He secretly prays for more passion for God. 
She represents a woman who is divorced, discouraged with her life, and struggles being a single mom to three children. She wants more of God in her life. She wonders about her future. He is a single man addicted to video games and pornography. He attends church. He loves the young adult ministry. I should have got a guy with no gray hair, right? He loves the young adult ministry, and he has real doubts about his salvation. All five representing people that attend church. Maybe that person or these people are literally sitting in this church here today. But we've been talking about Jesus being full of grace and truth. Which one of these people need grace? Which one of these people need grace? This young man, this divorced woman, this deacon that prays for more passion, this guy that loves money, this self-righteous hypocrite, the church lady. Which one of those <laughs> I'm having fun with that. Yes, the self-righteous, the highly critical, that's you. No. Which one of those, she's just the opposite of all that, praise the Lord. Which one of these need God's grace? All of them. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter where we're at in the Lord, before we're saved, after we're saved, mature, spiritually-minded, struggling, carnally-minded, All of us need God's grace. Am I right about that? All right. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you very much. Well, Jesus was full of grace and truth, was he not? And in this passage of scripture with the rich young ruler, we see that the Lord Jesus offered truth and grace to this man, this young man. He did not try to win the argument here, but rather he was trying to win his soul And he tried to build a bridge, not burn a bridge with them. He truly was a friend of sinners. We see that in this story. And that's what we're trying to do in our encounters and relationships with people is to model grace and truth, especially in our culture, which is very challenging at this time, highly opinionated. And Christianity, religion, you know, it's kind of like it's not as respected as it once was. It's mocked, ridiculed, and rejected at a much higher level than it ever used to be. And here we are as Christians. We're shining our light and we're bringing into uh, our encounters our, our testimony and our faith in Jesus. And we're telling people about Jesus and inviting people to church. And some aren't going to want to hear it. Some are going to going to listen, but they're going to argue with you. Others will be quiet, and still others will respond to it. This rich young ruler, he did not respond with faith. So let's get into the story. This rich young ruler, he was a lost soul. He was self-righteous. I see that in him. He was an idolater. I see also that in him. He was an unbeliever. And he also was hard-hearted. I see all four qualities or characteristics in this man. Let's take a look at this, him being a lost soul. Number one, he was self-righteous. He says in verse 20, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, Jesus is giving him, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the last five of them Jesus gave them. And, and he just believes that not that he just began uh, to keep them or is trying to keep them or gives it his best shot to keep them every single day. He says, I've kept all these things from my youth. 
I tell you what, that's amazing, isn't it? That he actually believed that. He probably believed that Jesus would say, when he confessed that he's doing all this, that he probably believed that Jesus would say, man, well done. Man, that is amazing. Join my team. We need more just like you. I mean, you're keeping the commandments, and you've been keeping them for years. And, uh, and uh, man, I, I, attaboy, that, that's great. That's great. Just keep it up. I'm sure that's what this rich young ruler was, was expecting from Jesus. I mean, when he approaches them in verse, verse 20, as he was, excuse me, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him. And I could just see this guy. He's all full of zeal and all full of vim and vigor, as it were, and running up and kneeling before him. What must I do? What must I do? And we know the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ is not doing to be saved. It's not earning or performing to be saved, but that's his mentality. And he actually believed, because he is so self-righteous, that he had kept all these commandments from his youth. I also see in this passage of Scripture that he was an idolater, a lawbreaker. The Bible says that when Jesus talked to him about selling all and following him, that the Bible says in verse 22 that he was sad at this word, went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. In other words, he loved money more than God. He violated one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 3, that says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other. Now, Jesus is God. Jesus is telling him to do this. He's saying, no, I have great possessions. I have placed my money or my possessions before God. And he violated that commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He was an idolater, an idolater. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Man, he didn't even gain the whole world. He just had a small portion of it. He was very wealthy, had many possessions, but that's far cry from the whole world. And so he's willing to lose his old soul over this little portfolio that he had, this, the house, the possessions, the successful business. We don't know all it was, but he was a rich man, but he certainly didn't have the whole world, but he's willing to lose it over just what he has. What will a what will a man give in exchange for the soul? He was willing to exchange possessions for his soul. You're offering me eternal life. You're offering me a right relationship with you, O Lord, but I'm willing to give out all that up just for my possessions, just for my possessions. So not only was he self-righteous, believing that he could keep all the commandments and that would merit him right favor with the Lord, that he could do something to inherit eternal life, but he also was an idolater. He loved money and he placed that as more important in his life, not willing to give it up to follow Jesus Christ. He was an unbeliever. Why do I say that? Because in verse 17, he approached Jesus and calls him a good teacher, a good teacher. 
Well, Jesus is not a good teacher. He is that, but he's so much more than that. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not look to him as the Messiah, did not look to him as the Savior of the world, as God in the flesh. He did not see deity in Jesus. When he, when he came to him and knelt down before him, it wasn't to worship him. It was simply to show him respect as a rabbi. And that was it. Jesus is more than a good teacher. He's more than a loving example. He's more than someone that we should model our life after. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is not believing in Jesus Christ. Hmm. The next thing I see here is that he was hard-hearted. Why do I say that? In verse 22, it says he went away. He rejected the offer of salvation. You know, one of the times I talked about so close yet so far, that was Nicodemus, right? So close yet so far. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. It certainly doesn't count in, in salvation. If you are not saved, you are lost and perishing. I don't care how close you get to the line, how open you seem to be to spiritual things, how interested you are in hearing and, and uh, receiving what people are saying about Jesus until you believe until you receive, until you cross that threshold of faith in Jesus Christ and are truly born again, you are lost, 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 lost. And this guy was lost. And there he is having this close encounter with Jesus. Jesus is ministering to him, instructing him, teaching him, loving him, offering him salvation. And he says, nope. He went away, stubborn, hard-hearted, a rejecter of the gospel. The Bible doesn't say what ultimately happened to this guy. Perhaps as Jesus sowed seeds, it entered into his heart. And as the weeks went by or months went by, he received Christ. Maybe he heard the gospel presentation after the death and resurrection of Jesus through others. And he got saved, but we don't know. He went away sorrowful, but he went away. In John chapter 6, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was preaching a very challenging message to the multitude. And the Bible says, after hearing that challenging message, the Bible says many of the disciples walked no more with them. They turned around and walked the other way. And Jesus looked at his chosen ones, and he said, will you also go away? Will you also go away? And Peter, I love his response. Where shall we go? Only you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. And if the Lord would ask you today, will you go away? Will you turn away? I hope in your heart you say, no, no, Lord. Sometimes I might feel weak or sometimes I might have my fears, but I'm not turning away. I'm not drifting away. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm not returning to this world. I am a follower. I am a believer in you, O Lord. I love you, Jesus. Hold fast to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Cleave to the Lord. Hold fast to him. Why is that? Because he is holding fast to you. So Jesus is going to minister to this self-righteous idolater who was hard-hearted, and he's going to minister truth to him. Remember, Jesus is full of grace and truth. So he's going to minister truth to him. The first thing I see Jesus confronting this man about is his deity. 
Jesus confronted this rich young ruler concerning his deity. He wanted this man to know that he was more than a good teacher. He does it in an interesting way. When verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, an unbeliever might twist that around and say, see, the Lord was saying he's not God. Because he's saying there's only one good and that's God. Why are you calling me good? Who are you calling good? You know? and, but that's not the idea here. Is that he comes up to Jesus and says, you're a, you're a, you're a good teacher. And Jesus says, who are you calling good? Only God is good. Only God is good. Jesus is trying to confront him about where he's at concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. What should have happened was this. Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And that rich young ruler should have said, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That should have been the rich young ruler's response, but it wasn't. The rich young ruler believed that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God in the flesh. Now listen to this. To be a genuine Christian, you must believe in the deity of Christ. First John talks about being the doctrine of God. You must believe in the deity of Christ. In John chapter 20, the gospel of John, it literally says this. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so the gospel of John was written, can we say all the scriptures were written, so that we might have saving faith. And what is saving faith? Believing that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing that we might receive divine life, eternal life. Ah, hallelujah. The crucial question for every single person all over this world is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? What is your confession today? I believe that you're a savior. I believe that you're a way. I believe that you're a good teacher. I believe that you're a moral example. I believe that you're a symbol of love. I believe that you have great teachings for us that we should follow. Or I believe that you're more than just that and those platitudes. I believe that you are God sent down from heaven, that you loved this world, that you gave up your life, that you were crucified, buried, and rose again. And that in that, in believing in you, I have eternal life. What will you do with Jesus? This is quite the crucial question. Because the Bible is very clear in the last days, very last days, the dead, the sea will give up the dead, and they will stand before the great white throne judgment. And whoever is not found in the Lamb's book of life is cast into a lake of fire. See, it's the Lamb's. And who is the Lamb? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that Lamb of God. And your name must be written in his book of life. And it's written down when you believe. Amen? When you get saved. And so Jesus is trying to bring this rich young ruler to what I call saving faith. And understanding that only God is good and that God was standing right before him. And he should have acknowledged that. 
The second area of truth that I see is that Jesus spoke the law to him. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And in verse 19, well, you know the commandments. If you want to do this by doing, you know the commandments. And so he begins to speak to him uh, five of the Ten Commandments. Now, why did Jesus minister the law to him? The Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments are representative of the law, all right? Why did Jesus quote the law to him? Two reasons. The first one is, the law gives you a knowledge of sin. In Romans 7, verse 7, it says this, I would not have known sin except through the law. And so you hear the law, you hear the commandments, and you realize, I can't keep these. I can't do this. But this rich young ruler, he hears it and says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Yes, he, he was believing a lie. He was a sinner. He had failed. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about adultery here as one of the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. You shall not murder. If you get angry in your heart, that's murder. You know, the keeping of the law is just not externally keeping the law. It's also internal compliance. And I guarantee you that he has not kept the law perfectly from his youth, but that he had violated in principle the law that God gave. And so God gave the law because it brings us into the knowledge of sin. And the second reason why Jesus quoted the law to him is this. In Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law gives you the knowledge of sin, and then the law leads you to saving faith in Christ. So Jesus quotes the law to this rich young ruler so that he might realize, I have violated the law. I have fallen short of the glory of God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that he would see himself not as righteous, but see himself as fallen, And also that the law would lead him to Christ, seeing that he would then say, Lord, help me. What must I do to get eternal life? Well, you know the law. Yes, Lord. The the response would be, yes, Lord. I've tried. I've tried to keep that, but I just can't. Can you help me? Can you save me? Jesus said, yes, I will save you. That should have been the conversation. That should have been the conversation, but it wasn't the conversation. He was a legalist, had a hard heart. He was an idolater. He loved money more than God. And this conversation exposed all that. It brought it all out of his heart. I'll tell you what, Jesus always reveals where your heart is. He's the great revealer of the human heart. What will you do with Jesus? Your response to that question, your heartfelt response to that question reveals where you're at. You bow your knee, you bow your heart, you give him your all. That tells you that you have a pure heart and saving faith. You resist, you draw back, you make excuses. It reveals that you love things more than God. Hmm. Jesus spoke the law to him. 
Jesus confronted this rich young ruler concerning his deity. Jesus asked him to give away his money so that he might overcome his idolatry. Jesus is not saying you're saved by giving all, all your money away. That's just something you get to do. But Jesus knew that he loved his money, so he asked him to give. He's quoting the law to him. He says, yeah, I've kept all that. Well, then let me talk to you about your money. And see, he wasn't willing or he wasn't being obedient in that area. Jesus zeroed in on his weakness or his, 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 his wickedness, you see. This rich young ruler loved money more than God. Jesus, in asking him to give away his money and follow him, was asking this man to repent of his idolatry and fully surrender to God. Now, you are not saved by giving your money to the poor, but you will, you will never be saved unless you repent and believe in Jesus. Now, we looked at this guy, Zacchaeus, last week, right? Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, a rich man. And uh, he gives his life to Jesus. He welcomes Jesus into his home. He begins to believe on him and turn from his sins. And what does he then want to do? I will give half my goods to the poor. And if I've stolen anything, I will restore it fourfold. That was evidence of saving faith. That's not what saved Zacchaeus. What saved Zacchaeus was receiving Jesus. But having receiving Jesus into his heart, into his home, it brought about real changes. Jesus Christ coming into Zacchaeus' life freed him from covetousness, from the love of money, from a lifestyle of thievery, because he stole money from the Jews. That's what tax collectors did. He wanted to make his life right with God. This is real repentance, a turning from sin to God that really affects a life change. Zacchaeus, his whole life was being changed. This rich young ruler, he loved his possessions. Jesus couldn't reach him with the Ten Commandments, so he just goes right after his money and says, just give it away and follow me. He says, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I tell you what, if he would have said, yes, Lord, I'll do that, Jesus would say, salvation has come to you today. Kind of like Abraham just offering Isaac. He made the decision to sacrifice his son, and the Lord saved Isaac, gave it back to him, and said, now I know. Perhaps he would have done the same with this rich young ruler. Just give away all your money. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. And he says, salvation has come into your house. Keep your money, but come follow me. Perhaps that would have been the end of that conversation. We don't know. We don't know. But Jesus asked him to give away his money. This rich young ruler should have responded to Jesus with sorrow, conviction, and repentance. He should have said, said to the Lord, save me, Jesus. Jesus not only ministered truth to him, but ministered grace. Jesus taught him. He did not try to argue him into the kingdom. He was kind and patient and gracious to him. And in verse 21, it says, Jesus looking at him, loved him. I just want to stop right there. Jesus looking at him, loved him. Looking at him, loved him. Looking at this, this man with wealth, this man that was in love with possessions, this man that didn't fully believe, this man that was far from God, this man that he knew would turn around and go away. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
I just loved him. I, I think, you know, I was saved when I was 18. I think of all those years before I got saved, how Jesus just looked at me and loved me. He looked at me and loved me when I hated church, looked at me and loved me when I lived for pleasure, looked at me and loved me as I cursed and swore, looked at me and loved me as I was a sinner. He just looked and loved me. And ever since I've been saved, I got saved in 76, all these years, Jesus has looked at me and loved me. I'm a child of God now. I've been saved. I'm a child of God. I'm accepted in the beloved. And yet he looks down and he loves me. He looks at me and loves me, and that's my testimony today, and I, I, that's, that's your testimony as, uh, as well. You might not realize that, but it is. Jesus, when he looks at you, he loves you. He loves you. Well, I, I'm do, I do this and I do that. He loves you. He loves you. Now, there's a call to salvation, a faith that you must believe in Jesus, life change, repentance, but no matter where you're at today, Jesus looks at you and loves you. Praise God. Well, when you go and minister to people out there and share your faith with them and they're far from God or rebellious or argumentative or closed or maybe they're open or whatever, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter what their beliefs might be, I want you to look at them and love them. That's being like Jesus. Am I right about that? It doesn't say that he gave his heart to Christ and Jesus loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he never got saved. I just love that, don't you? Just love that. Reminds me of when Peter sinned and denied the Lord three times. The Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. You can read about that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Jesus looked at Peter. And that look caused Peter to repent. Perhaps when we, when we sin or, or when we harden our heart or when we say things we shouldn't say or we're in a place of failure like Peter was and we can remind ourselves that Jesus is looking at us, maybe we can have the exact same response. Jesus went out and with bitter tears repented. Because when Jesus looked at Peter, he looked at him and loved him. Hmm. So this guy goes away. He turns around and goes away, the scripture says. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think he wanted to be on the team. I think he came to the Lord, look what I have to offer. Purity of life and zealous obedience and all my wealth, look what I have to offer, certainly. And, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't bringing him on the team. So he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, Jesus did not force him to be saved. He did not try to control him, manipulate him, or coerce him. He left the outcome with his heavenly Father. He believed that with God, all things are possible. That's what he says just a few verses down. Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, talking about being saved, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Can you trust your loved ones and friends to God today? Jesus entrusted this rich young ruler to his heavenly father, saying, with God all things are possible. He can get saved. He didn't get saved in this encounter. He wasn't ready, or he was resistant. He didn't get saved. 
but with God, all things are possible. What about that loved one, your spouse, children, parents, grandchildren, friends, extended family, and you've been praying and praying, and they haven't responded, you can't make them get saved. You just can't. They won't get saved based upon you believing for them. You can't believe for them. Each person must come to Christ himself or herself, right? But you can witness, you can love, you can pray. That's what we do. But we have to cast that burden on the Lord because it could be too heavy to bear sometimes. Oh, Lord, what can I do to get them saved? Well, the Lord is the Lord of salvation. He's the Savior. You can't get them into the kingdom. You simply do your part. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you give the outcome to the Lord. That's what Jesus did right here. He's not running after, wait, 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 come back, come back. Let me forget what I said about the money. Forget what I said about that. Just, just, just simply, just simply believe in me. We'll make it easy for you. Just simply believe in me. That's all you got to do. Uh, right where you're at, you believe I'm a good teacher. That's good enough. Come on, let's go. Come on, come on. Come on, Peter, James, John, help the guy, help the guy. Come on. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't run after him. Then try to talk him into it, argue him into it. He let him go, believing that with God all things are possible. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Lord, for your good word today. I just want you right now with your heads bowed to trust God right now with those that you are burdened for. Just trust God right now. Give them to the Lord. Trust God for the outcome. Say, God, I believe with you all things are possible. Say their names in prayer. Lord, I'm believing for for Jill or for Rachel, for Bill or Larry. Just say their names and just give them to God. Give them to God. Maybe some, maybe they're a Christian and they're just backslidden. Man, you've just been working and working and working. It's so hard and so burdened by it and frustrated with it. And you actually can get angry that they're not responding to your love. <laughs> just give them, give them to God right now. And when you look at them, love them. And with your heads bowed, if you're here today and you're, you're like this rich young ruler... You're apart from God, far from God. You're not really saved. And Jesus says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. I want to pray with you. If you're here today and you've not been saved, you are not a Christian. But this is the day of your salvation. I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you in just a a couple seconds here just to let me know that you want prayer to receive Christ by the raising of your hands. But right before I ask you to do that, let me just just drill this down deep into you. You need Jesus. 
You need to be saved. Because if you're not, you're perishing. You're still in your sins. You're far from God. Without God and without hope. Jesus will be the best thing that you've ever had happen in your life. The greatest decision and the most important decision that you'll ever make is receiving Christ as your Savior. Receiving him into your heart. What better time than right now to say, Lord, I believe, I receive. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior today, just raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Well, it's Christmas season. We're talking about Jesus evangelism, inviting, witnessing, full of grace and full of truth. Be busy this week. Take your opportunities. Pass out some flyers. Let's believe God. Amen? Let's believe God. Father, we just give it to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.